are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So every year at this time, we depart for a Sunday from the usual lectionary in order to observe the Feast of St. Benedict which actually, strictly speaking, falls tomorrow. So it's the eve of the Feast of St. Benedict. But it's not an unimportant thing to take a pause like this, to reflect a little bit on the life and vision of the person whose name this church community bears. Otherwise, if we don't have a sense of who he was and what he stood for, the name just begins to sound sort of saintly, in a very vague kind of way. Well, the short version is that Benedict of Nursia was the founding figure in the development of Western monasticism, largely through his authorship of his famous Rule. It is a rather brief little book. This particular edition runs all of 81 pages And it's a book that Benedict himself called simply a little rule for beginners. Listen carefully, my child, the rule begins. Listen carefully to the master's instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. This is advice from a father who loves you. Welcome it and faithfully put it into practice. And as Benedict proceeds to set out his guidelines for life in community, he cites 126 Bible verses, 126 in this wee little book, including 71 from the book of Psalms. The rule is shot through with scripture, in other words, which is part of the reason it has had such a deep impact on Christian community. I really appreciate how Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove summarizes the impact of Benedict's rule. He writes, It has guided communities that have produced a disproportionate number of saints and created the seedbeds for democracy and abolition of slavery, public education, and hospitals. Throughout the Middle Ages, Benedictine communities gave birth to the schools where people learned to imagine a new society within the shell of the old. They were training centers for clergy and scholars, centers for the preservation of ancient manuscripts, havens for the arts, sources for spiritual direction, houses of hospitality for those in need. These communities became literal schools for the world to come. For Benedict, in the 6th century when he wrote the rule, the rule could only have been an honest attempt to say in the present what a tradition of radical commitment to the gospel offered people who wanted to shape their life together. But, you might say, 
that all sounds like it's in the past and very much limited to communities of monks and nuns. Sure, Jamie can lead a journey down to St. John's Abbey in Collegeville. We can get a taste of how that monastic vision continues to have an impact in the world. But St. John's Abbey is 600 kilometers away. It makes for a really fascinating visit, but what difference does it really make in our world anyway? Well, for one thing, I believe that any time a Christian community catches the vision that is set out in the book of Acts, the reading we just had, it will make an imprint not only on that community, but on the world in which it lives. There is, for instance, a powerful commitment at St. John's Abbey to what the book of Acts calls, quote, the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And anyone who enters into the church with that monastic community is more than welcome to share with them in that way of being Christian. It has balance. It needs fellowship. It needs to hear teaching. It needs the breaking of bread, Eucharist, and it needs prayer. Oh, and work and rest as well. The same should be true of any community that dares to call itself Christian. Whether or not that community also, like us, bears the name of Benedict, our wrestling as Christians with the teaching of the apostles, the gospels and epistles both, our fellowship, our community, our life together, our sharing in communion together, and the offering up of prayers, whether here in the church or over the course of the week in online evening prayer, or the folks who receive a weekly prayer email with special requests, or whatever and however we might pray, that's all meant to shape and form us as a people together. But there's something else, I think, that these readings today bring, which is also of the highest importance. It comes at this point in the Gospel according to John, on the night of his arrest, in the upper room, Jesus reframes the shape of his relationship to his followers, to his disciples. Just listen again to a portion of what we proclaimed. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, he says, looking directly at that company of disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. I have called you friends, which is a powerful thing. The part of this Jesus, who up to this point in the Gospel narratives has been revered as their rabbi, their teacher, their master, their Lord, no longer my servants, he says, instead now my friends. 
Now we in our world tend to lean toward a somewhat thin appreciation of the whole concept of friendship. Are you on Facebook? I am. Sometimes I'm not altogether happily on Facebook, particularly not when it feels like that program is trying to track my interest areas and spending habits and supply me with all manner of advertisements its algorithms have determined will be of great interest to me, then I'm not at all happy with Facebook. And according to Facebook, I now have, as of yesterday, 884 friends, which is quite literally impossible. Or at least it is if we turn to the words of Jesus or to the teachings of the more ancient world on the whole area of friendship. Friends are precious. They're the ones, in Jesus' terms, who have been shown everything he's heard from God. They're the ones for whom one would choose to lay down one's life. That's no small measure. The great Christian classic treatise on friendship comes from a man named Allred of Rivaux in the 12th century, who was himself immersed in a life shaped by the Benedictine vision. In a little book, Spiritual Friendship, this is what Allred writes, Without friends, absolutely no life can be happy. Let us imagine that the whole human race has been taken out of the world, leaving you as the sole survivor. Now behold before you all the delights and riches of the world. Gold, silver, precious stones, walled cities, turreted camps, spacious buildings, sculptures, and paintings. And consider yourself transformed to that ancient state, having all creatures under your dominion, all sheep and oxen, moreover the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fishes of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Tell me now, whether without a companion you could enjoy all of these possessions. No, not at all. The enjoyment of the things of life, the enjoyment of life itself, Allred maintained, comes from the sharing of things with friends and largely the sharing of friendship with friends. You are elevated beyond being mere acquaintances or in a master-servant role into something entirely mutual and shared. And in the sharing, both joy and growth result. And so he wrote, There are four qualities which characterize a friend. Loyalty, right intention, Discretion and patience. Right intention seeks for nothing other than God and natural good. Discretion brings understanding of what is done on a friend's behalf 
and the ability to know when to correct faults. Patience enables one to be justly rebuked when needed or to bear adversity on another's behalf. Loyalty guards and protects friendship in good or bitter times. Friendship is about companionship through thick and thin, in good times and in bad, whether one is lagging behind and stumbling, as we can, or in a place of flourishing. And it is in Allred's view and in Jesus' own teaching from the Gospel according to John, quite central to being a Gospel people. So, in a world where people might say something like, oh, we're really not that serious about one another, we're just friends. Maybe it's time to lay hold again to the idea of deeper friendships in which we learn and grow and find ourselves both nurtured and challenged. And perhaps it is such friendships framed in the context of the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers that should lie at the heart of this odd, beautiful, broken, and lovely community called the church. St. Benedict, I believe, would agree, and agree heartily. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.